Hi, I'm Luke. Hi, I'm Kaylin. And, and this, this is Death Row Dialogue. Alright, to start it off, I will go ahead with a new rating on Apple Podcast. And it is from Brooklyn, your number one fan. It says that. Oh. I have never rated something on Apple Podcasts, but I'm guessing that you can put your own little name in there. Right. So Brooklyn is not just Brooklyn. Oh. It's She's Brooklyn, your number one fan. Gotcha, gotcha. She said, I've always loved the way you explain things, Kaylin. You're truly meant to make a podcast. I enjoy Luke's calm demeanor, so when he laughs, I instantly laugh. Listening to you guys is a true pleasure of mine. That's nice. Brooklyn, I love you. <laughs> um, I can't think of really any housekeeping. Can you? Nope. Um, I do want to say that we have had almost all 50 states listen to us. We are about 13 to 14 short. But not Arizona. No, not Arizona. I will list them rapid fire. If you know somebody in these states, go ahead and send it on through. These are the ones we don't have yet? Correct. We do not have these. Alaska, Arizona, Connecticut, Hawaii, Kansas, Massachusetts, Maryland, Maine, Michigan, North Dakota, Nebraska, New Hampshire, New Mexico, Pennsylvania, South Carolina, Vermont, and West Virginia. See, that's not a lot. Yeah. So, and we have a lot of UK listeners. I mean, to me, a lot is like one. But I think we have a few regular listeners from the UK. So thank you so much. Share to your UK friends. I love seeing when other countries come up on our little locations map. But I am ready if you are ready. I'm ready. Okay. Today is a doozy. It's a good one. I mean, define good. Good in a terribly awful, someone has to die way. I mean, it's not a burglary, if that's what you mean. Oh, okay. So this episode is on Randy Lynn Wools. And. It's a male. The Lynn kind of throws me off as a guy's middle name, mm. but it's a man. Randy was born on November 21st in 1949. He dropped out of school in ninth grade and started doing drugs at 13. Sorry, guys, if you hear my cat's bells. I'm going to close the door. And then my dog sneezing. It's a rough day. Okay. So, um, he said that he turned to crime to support his teenage drug habit at about 13. And he blamed all of his previous convictions on the fact that he was addicted to drugs. It never stated what his previous convictions were, but it did mention that he had at least three. Before the crime, he was a Medina construction worker. Oh, wait. <laughs> it did list the crimes. I just didn't read far enough down in my own notes that I took the oh. other day. His previous convictions were one count of burglary, one count of auto theft. He was sentenced to five years and then was paroled out in Liberty County for those. He returned on the parole violation. He then had two charges for burglary with intent to commit theft, one charge for sale of marijuana, three counts of burglary at night, and one count of auto theft. And he received a 10-year sentence for that one. So he... Was in jail, got five years, got paroled out, and then once his parole was done, he did these other charges, got ten years, and then got out. And when I was looking at the dates, I think this crime happened not even a year after he got out oh, from yeah. that ten-year sentence. So, are you ready? Career criminal? 
Yeah, well, and it, they're very on brand. I mean, thefts, you know? Yeah. And so we see a lot of that. And this is all to support his drug addiction from when he was 13. I Yeah, I think that, you know, it's the idea of, like, I'll steal things and then sell it and get money and buy drugs. Yeah. Or I'll just steal money and buy drugs. Or I guess he'll sell marijuana to buy more drugs. So, on June 16th, 1979, at the Bolero Drive-In Movie Theater in Kerrville, Texas... Betty Stott, who was 44 years old, was a ticket teller at the drive-in movie. Her son, Roger Stott, also worked there, but he worked in the concession stand. A little after they got there, a customer came up to them and told them that the ticket booth was on fire. On the way to the ticket booth, he saw his mom's car, which was a Red Hornet station wagon, had been moved from where they usually park. And there was a man sitting in the driver's seat and the passenger window was rolled down. And, you know, Roger was like, what are you doing? And the person that was in the car was a man wearing cutoffs with blood on his knees. And the man said that he was waiting on somebody and then drove off. And he drove into the movie and parked and started watching a movie in his mom, in Roger's mom's car. So he knew something was up. Yeah, he, I mean... He thinks that he distinctly knew it was his mom's car. Yeah. So it doesn't make me think that there was a lot of these station wagons there. Well, and if you're riding together, he's going to know like where it was parked. And yeah, exactly. So um, when Roger got to the ticket booth, it was on fire, completely engulfed. Once the fire was put out, they found Betty Stotts deceased inside. She'd been hit over the head with a tire iron, stabbed several times, and then set on fire while she was still alive. So, during the trial, when they were trying to decide what her cause of death was, they couldn't. Because they're like, she could have died from the blunt force trauma. She could have died from the slashes to her body. Because I think they were, like, across her throat, on her wrists. And she also had smoke inhalation. So, they know for a fact that she was on fire. Wi- or alive. she was alive. Yes. And she had burns on 75% of her body. So, they weren't sure which one killed her. Wow. Yeah. So, um, the police found Randy Lynn Wools inside the Red Hornet station wagon watching the movie. They arrested him there and found a corn purse on him, a calculator, keys, a gas station receipt with Betty's name on it, and a pocket knife with a total sum of $606.62. So, they later found a tire tool under Betty's body. The knife and the tire tool both had type O blood on them, which was Betty's blood type. So the knife he had on on him and the tire tool was under her body. Mm. After he was arrested, the story was finally pieced together. So Lori Alanis testified that she knew Randy and Lori um, had a husband named Randy. So Lori, her husband Randy, and then Wools all had hung out the night before and done Valium together. And I think also smoked marijuana. So she admitted that they had done all these drugs. And the officers were like, well, how much did you do? And she's like, well, I don't know. He did everything. I don't know how much you're supposed to take or how much we did take. So, you know, that is on brand with his 
drug addiction. Right. And then she said that they all went to the drive-in together. It was her, her husband, her children, um, a mutual friend, Shirley Wilberly, and then Randy Wools. They all went to the drive-in movies together the night of the murder. And um, Randy had, Randy Wools had been like, oh, there's a vet clinic across the street. Let's go burglarize it so that we can get some drugs and we can get some more, some money to get more drugs. And Lori's husband, Randy, was like, no, I'm not doing that. Let's bring the kids, too. Like, I don't, he's like, no, I'm not. And Wolves went to, like, the back of the car, the Alanis's car, and found a hammer. And he was like, I can do better than this. And kept looking in the car and found the tire tool. Mm. And... When Randy Alness was like, I don't want to do that, he's like, to hell with you, and started walking off. Shell Shirley Wimberly also said that she took Valium off of Wool's that night. Like he had she'd seen a syringe and a bottle of Valium in his pocket or something. And she had took it, and after they found out he was arrested, they destroyed it. So that contributes to him being under the influence that night. So, after murdering Betty, Wools decided that he was going to continue selling the movie tickets to people. Like, the ticket booth was on fire behind him, and he was selling money to people that were trying to, or selling tickets to people that were trying to get into the movie. taking their money? No, he was giving them change. Like, I don't, no, I know, but, but that's yeah, $600. Yeah. That well, I think he took the 600 from the register, took the tickets from the booth, went outside to the booth, and started selling tickets. So, yes, he was taking the money, but he was, like, giving people change and telling them to enjoy their movie. Just out, totally out of it. He seemed like... Yes. <laughs> too many drugs. Yes. Like, out of it. Um. So... It's unclear if he ever did burglarize the vet clinic. Um, The timeline didn't really make a ton of sense with when everything happened. I'm not sure if after he left the uh, the analysis is if he went to the vet clinic or if he just went straight to the ticket booth. Um, But he himself said that he injected himself 40 times with Valium from the vet clinic. But that was the only time the vet clinic was stated that he made it inside the vet clinic. And do you know what Valium is? Like a painkiller? Um, so I looked it up and it was more of like an anti-anxiety, like a Xanax. So he like wouldn't be conscious at all. Like, and I don't know how much you're supposed to take, but I think 40 is a lot. Or I mean like he may be like up doing things. Right? Yeah. But in his head. Yes. He's not there. Yes. So in the trial, Ronald Sutton, who was the prosecutor, advised... That even as a child, Wolves was caught torturing many animals. He never showed any emotion or guilt. I don't believe that he even remembered anything that happened that night because he was so high. And Stutton also said that it was an open and shut case even with Wolves having the best defense lawyer available. Yeah. Um, Wolves constantly said that he was getting executed for a crime he didn't remember committing. While constantly blaming the crime 
do on the Valium, which I'm sure you don't remember it, but you have a history of drug abuse yeah, and addiction. And you're, you're not going to stay sober. So it's not Betty Stott's fault that yeah. you were high on Valium and like, why should her family be and... punished because you can't help yourself? Like, what did he want? Just another drug charge? Yeah, I don't like that hadn't worked before because like I'm sure that maybe that defense worked for him on his past burglaries. Right, right. He chose two witnesses for his execution, his aunt June Mills and his cousin Natrona Mills. He had to help technicians find veins in his arms due to them being so scarred from drugs and like sunken in. Like injecting himself. Yes. So he had to like and that was a big thing. Like that was the headlines on all the newspapers I saw was that he was having to help the technicians find a vein <laughs> that I know where there's one left. Yeah, like I don't he's like I've been saving this one. I haven't used the one in between my toes yet. So it's just insane. He was injected near a tattoo of a buzzard grasping grasping a syringe, a grim reaper, and a swastika. Those are the tattoos he had on his arm. Near where he was injected. Mm-hmm. Wow. The one that jumped out to me was a buzzard grasping a syringe. Yeah. I don't like, know. that makes me think you have no no uh, plan in the world to ever stop doing drugs. Well, yeah, it's like, I don't know. It could be very, like, ironic or it could be, like... You think, like, that was a reminder of, like... a symbol of, like, of himself. Like, he's a scavenger. He'll do anything to get this. Or it could be like, hey, this is who I was. This is not what I am. To like anymore. remind him like this is what took his freedom right. was the drugs. Yeah. So his final meal was two cheeseburgers, fries, and an iced tea. He was pronounced dead at 12.23 a.m. on August 20th, 1986. He had had a... <clears throat> sorry. He had had a previous execution date of July 20th, 1984, but it was stayed four days before by federal judge Eldon Meehan in Fort Worth. The case was moved from Kerr County to Tom Green County, and it never mentioned this, but I believe it was due to the violent nature and the publicity of the crime. Like, not getting out to newspapers, but it was in public. Yeah. Like, in a major drive-in movie theater. Right. All the people there saw that fire. Yeah. You know? So, I think it was hard for them to... Find a jury. ...get a fair trial in that county. Betty's daughter, Deborah, said that her mother was a deeply religious person and had such a premonition of death that she left her husband and four children letters written just a few days before her slaying, saying that um, she would not always be with them in body but in spirit. Because she just felt that she was going to die soon. It's crazy. Deborah also said that in the beginning, I hated him, but there was something that was something I had to overcome. My mother wouldn't have wanted it that way. My mother taught me to not hate, so now I don't hate him. I have pity for him. Are you ready for his last words? When was that statement from her daughter? Was it during this whole trial? I think it was after he was executed because it was in the newspaper articles where it was talking about his being executed. So his last words were, 
Goodbye to my family. I love all of you. I'm sorry for the victim's family. I wish I can make it up to them. I want those out there to keep fighting the death penalty. That's all. That's a good one. He said sorry. Yeah. And wished that he could make it up to them. Right. And, you know, I'm sure once he was in jail and, like, was completely sobered up, he was like, I can't believe. Yeah, what's happening to me? And... I bet that's a scary feeling going into court and hearing all these things that you did that you don't remember doing. Right. But that doesn't take away from the victim's family's pain and the fact that you took someone's life. Well, and it's like every time he's got out, things have escalated, you know? Mm-hmm. So, it, like, what if they let him out again, what's going to happen next time? You know? Yeah. And, I mean... I'm, like, conflicted because part of me wants to be, like, he could have done with life in prison to where he didn't have access to drugs. Right. And maybe he wouldn't have been violent. But it's hard to say. Yeah. So, that is all I have for y'all. Thank y'all for listening. Depressing one there. Yeah. It's always hard when it's... Not controversial, per se, if they should have been put to death, but it's not as like, oh, that's a terrible person. Yeah. You know, it's harder. Yeah. So, hopefully, um, next week is more open and shut. Don't do drugs. Yes, don't do 40 injections (laughs) of Valium. (laughs) Don't murder anyone. I feel like 40 is a lot, but... And we will talk to you all next week. Bye. Bye.